All right, well, good morning once again. Hi, John. <laughs> I'm a little live here, but we'll get, it, we'll get it dialed in. All right, if you've got a Bible, open it up, please, um, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we've been working through Paul's first letter to Timothy, um, just by way of kind of orientation, maybe a little bit of review. Where is Timothy being, um, uh, where is he a leader uh, geographically? A little place called Ephesus. Um, there's a, a book in the Bible, a letter called Ephesians. You guys familiar with that one? Guess who that's written to? It's written to the, the church at Ephesus. Um, anybody know where that is in modern day standing? That's in Turkey. It's modern day Turkey. Um, so, yeah, Ephesians is written to the church. First Timothy is written to Timothy, who is leading the church in Ephesus. Um, Paul's going to offer us some very helpful words. He's going to offer Timothy some very helpful words that we can then apply to our own lives. And we're going to look at the chapter shortly. I promise you we're going to read the Word of God. Um, and we're going to use that as our basis for what we're talking about today. Um, but I think these words are especially helpful in light of the fact that not only is Timothy ministering, he's an elder, he's a leader, he's a pastor in the church at Ephesus, but that church is an absolute nightmare. Right? They are a mess. Things are falling apart left and right. There are false teachers. People are coming in with a different gospel, and they are just letting it go. And then there are these women who are stepping up and doing all kinds of weird and strange things that are causing division and chaos within the church. We learned last week, maybe it was last week, yeah, last week, people are leaving the faith. People are falling away. It's a bad time to be in the church at Ephesus. And here's poor Timothy, young Timothy, although a protege of Paul. What better person to have your, you know, leading you. But still, man, in that context, it's tough. It's a difficult situation. I, I would encourage you, for a moment, put yourself in Timothy's shoes. And everything we just described, what's happening in the church. What is your natural initial response to the chaos happening around you? Is it to run the other way? Maybe, for some of you. Is it really just to kind of clean house and just be like, I don't care if I offend you, but this is, we're done. And we're just cutting it all off. Is it to walk patiently and gently and kindly and encouraging all of this chaotic mess around you? What is your typical response in those kinds of positions? Man, it's tough. I feel for Timothy. I really do. But this is the church. As imperfect as it may be, this is the church. Let me ask you, what's another word, another label, another very significant title that the Bible uses to describe the church, God's people? Bride. The bride. The bride of Christ. That's us, my friends. That's you and me and every person in this building that calls himself a believer. You're the bride of Christ. Did you know that? Good. Some of you do. What goes on here in this building, it matters. It matters to God. It matters to his reputation. It matters to you, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> I certainly hope it does. 
it, it matters to us as leaders. The church, us, we are God's means of reaching the world and sharing the love of Christ with a lost and dying world. Hopefully, so far, I've not told you anything you don't know. Right? Just kind of shaping what is at stake here. And if a church struggles to love each other well and live in harmony with other like-minded people, how on earth are they going to love people outside of this building? Like, if we can't do it in here, we are going to struggle to do it. Now, that's just the way life is. God has a plan for his church. He has a plan for us. And we need to pay attention to what this book says in regards to that plan and how we ought to live it out. I promised you I was going to get to this, but just go with me a few more moments. I want to share my heart because when I read this this week and I looked at the chapter and the content, I just got flooded with some things from the Lord that I feel like I want to share with you. And and those things start with the idea that the more I read the Bible, the more I study the early church, we're talking like this early church, like 2,000 years ago, I see in a lot of ways how we... Not we necessarily. We as a church, the big church globally, the church, in a lot of ways, have made the church into something that it was never intended to be. For example, the church was never meant to be an inward-focused social group that existed for itself. It was never meant to be that. But if you look across the church, again, by and large, I'm not highlighting anybody in particular, I think you're going to see that happening in a lot of places. The church exists for itself. It's about this building, this place, this ministry, what this thing does for itself. Outward focus is minimized and inward focus is maximized. The church was also never intended to be a place of learning and accumulating knowledge alone. At least not with an immediate application of that knowledge. But if you look around... And I mentioned it earlier, and our ideals sometimes about discipleship being an accumulation of knowledge. As long as I'm learning about this and knowing who Jesus is, I'm being discipled and I'm growing in my faith, and that's enough. There are a lot of churches who would define discipleship and success in that way. We've got a room full of very educated, very um, doctrinally sound people, and that's good. That's enough. And I would say that it is good, but it's not enough (laughs) if we're not taking that and applying it outside of these walls. I wouldn't say it's useless, but I would say in some senses you are useless to God. If we were put here on this earth to be out there and we're only focused in here, are we being used to our potential for what God has put us here for? Now, this is not meant to be like this Debbie Downer sort of message. If I had a side camera, I would look at it and we do the... We do the little thing. However, if the church is not functioning as God designed it to function, we should be red red flags go up everywhere. Red star clusters, wherever you want to throw up in the air to make sure that everybody knows there's a problem here. There's a problem. And we should be doing everything in our power to right the ship, to get back on course. Because we are the bride of Christ. And we are his representatives here. And what we do matters. And God has been gracious. He's been very kind to us at Pillar Oceanside over these last two years. We've learned a lot (laughs) over the last two years. Um, 
we've learned actually that we don't need much of what we think or thought we need to be a church. In fact, there are many weeks, many weeks, where we had we had each other, we had the word, we had worship, and we had Jesus in a small space outside. And that was all we had, and that was enough. Amen. I was going to ask, can I get an amen, but I got a couple already. So. Amen. But here's where this hits home for me, I think, as I was reading this this week, <laughs> figuring out how the Lord used this text to bring to light some things. How many of you are here? I want you to raise your hand really high. How many of you were here in March of 2020? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you were not here in March of 2020? Raise your hand real high. Look around. That's almost everybody. And those that were here experienced dependence upon God in new and exciting ways. We were without a home. This church, when March of 2020 hit, for 15 months, we were without a place to meet. 15 months. It was a crazy time. Man. But we learned what church should be and what church could be without the distractions of this place, this building, big ministries, and all the things that we feel like define us as a church. We had to relearn and reorient our minds about what is priority to God in terms of what the church is. And one thing that we regularly said during this time was that if we come through this season without being changed dramatically, we have really missed what God was doing. I know I was changed in massive ways. Challenged, God rocked my world for those 15 months. And I don't think he's done, to be honest with you. My view of the church, as I told you, what we're called to do as the body of Christ has really changed in some significant ways. And some of that I have yet to even share with you what God has been doing in my own life. Now, I am really, really excited. More so than I have been in a long, long time for this church and who God has brought here. Don't, don't hear anything other than, man, I'm really encouraged by who's here right now. I think God is in the midst of doing something really, really special. But my fear is... And if we're not careful and intentional, we may fall back into some of the habits and comfortable patterns that align more with the church that I described a moment ago, rather than being a lean, mean, forward-leaning, mm. disciple-making machine. Amen. We just made that up. <laughs> but the further we get away from 2020 and all that happened over that time, the harder we must fight to maintain our focus on the right things. Building strong community here is an important and valuable thing that we don't need. This building, we don't need anything to, to build strong community except one another, right? Mm -hmm. Being a light in the darkness out there, that is a priority. That is what we do as the church. Being doers of the word in every sense. Can I just ask that we not be content with a Sunday morning Christian experience? Just showing up on a Sunday morning defines your Christianity. Let's not be content with that. Let's not be content with a faith that doesn't radically impact the world around us. We want our faith to radically impact the world around us. Do we not? Yes. So let's not be content if it's not doing that. Let's not be content with a church that isn't fully embracing and living out the Great Commission in real and practical ways. Let us not be content with that. That's... 
That's my heart. That's what came flooding to my mind as I was reading and praying 1 Timothy chapter 5 this week. Because Paul lays out some very specific instructions to the church. And some of which may not seem super relevant for us today. How many of you read 1 Timothy chapter 5 in the last week or so? And you're familiar with what's in there. Okay, if you haven't, <clears throat> about 80% of it has to do with widows. Right? Not a lot of us are like intimately uh, involved in terms of helping and serving widows. And I think that this passage, if we're not careful, we can just sort of gloss over it and go, oh, that has to do with widows, it doesn't really have, doesn't apply to me. I think there's a greater principle that Paul is laying out for us in the scripture, in this chapter. <clears throat> that greater principle, if you're a note taker, is this. No matter who you are or where you are, act right and do right. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, act right and do right. And I think it plays, that principle plays directly into what I just spent a few minutes describing in terms of what the church ought to be. Whether you're a brand new believer, you've been a believer for 50 years. Whether you're a leader, whether you're a brand new Christian. Whether you work at home, you, you, you work in the Marine Corps, you, doesn't matter. Whoever you are, wherever you are, act right and do right. Because who we are as a church matters. And if we are to accomplish the mission that God has put in front of us, then what we do and how we do it matters. Act right and do right. So how does this passage address that topic? You're asking yourself, like, dude, you're like 15 minutes in this thing, you haven't even opened the Bible yet. I'm going to open the Bible right now. Remember, Mike has highlighted for us a couple of times, and, and helpfully so, this is what we're calling a wave top. Right? We're not going deep into the weeds. We're at a 30,000-foot view looking at each chapter and figuring out how it applies to our lives. <clears throat> so I'm going to read a couple of verses at a time and then see how this idea, this principle, really plays into effect. Before I do that, nope, I'm just going to read it. Uh, verses 1 and 2, this is what we're doing. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. <clears throat> okay, we'll just stop right there. So we serve all people. We treat others with respect no matter what. Because church is not like family, it what? Yes. It is family. We are family. We're not a perfect family. <laughs> I heard somebody say this last time, and I've said it a few times. Nobody has said anything about it, but I think it's, it's, it's cute, but it's very true. We're not perfect, and we demonstrate it every day. <laughs> Just the reality of being broken and lost people. Um, but we should strive to treat each other with great care and respect, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of status. Why is it so important? Why does it matter how we treat one another? Well, I kind of hinted at it before, but if we can't do it in here, we will struggle to do it out there. If we can't treat each other with respect and love, regardless of any of those categories that we just talked about that tend to bring division into, into relationships, if we can't do it here, we can't do it out there. So that's number one, is we have to practice <laughs> Because sometimes it's a struggle to love people. Can I get an amen? amen? Some of you are hard to love. 
I'm just saying. I love you. I'm hard to love sometimes. Let me, let's just be real, right? All of us have certain aspects that make it hard to love us. But our desire is to do that. What about when we get out there? Their desire is not to have anything to do with you. In fact, they stand in opposition to everything you believe. How do you love that person? Well, we got to do it well here in order to do it well out there. But number two, people are watching how we treat one another. They do. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That you love one another. Is that what he says? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at that, sir. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by what? By your love for each other, all people will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. People are watching how we love one another. And it matters to them. Even if they, they don't admit it, it matters. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Brothers, mothers, sisters. It's family language that is being talked about here. And the way that we love each other is significant and important. Let me read the next little section here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications of prayer night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even when she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows for their passions, draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, so incur commendation condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let not the church be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. Okay, well, that's a big chunk of the passage that I mentioned earlier about widows and, and how, how we are to care for them. Widows have always been important to God, right? All the way back to the Old Testament. And I think that's still the case today. I don't think that's changed. And while many of us don't have those regular interactions with people that are in this category, I think we can take away some important truths and principles from what Paul is talking to Timothy about here. And it's not really necessarily into the description of widows or the ages of widows or not even necessarily the behavior of widows, although in some cases that can help us. Those things have their place. Right? We, should, we should know how the Bible describes widows and how we should be caring for them. That's helpful. But I think for us here there are a few items that we can take and apply in our lives that will serve us well and those around us well. Remember, we're trying to think about 
No matter who you are, where you are, act right, do right, let's see what this can uh, help for our own walk. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> that when outsiders look at the church, they look at our lives, that they will have more and more indication that we really do mean what we say. That's kind of the goal, right? We want people to look in and go, you know what? They really do believe that loving each other, loving people who are in this category of the widow, who today might represent somebody who just doesn't have anyone else in their lives that they can love, and that they can be loved by, supported by, encouraged by. They don't have to be a, an actual widow who's lost their husband. Um, but it can be somebody who is desperate that needs the love of a community around them. But one of those things that we just read in here is the idea of providing for your family. Not only your um, immediate family, I would say, but anybody that's in your broader family that needs help. I would say from this, we should help them. You don't have to go, oh, you know, they're not a widow, so I'm not going to help them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if that's your, your standard. Um, but I, I would argue that we should be looking for people in our own families that need help. Not necessarily financial help, all that's possible. Help with caring for their home, their responsibilities, helping to mend relationships. Who knows? It could, it could look like any kind of thing. But we should orient our minds around the people that love us and that we love that are in our families and seek to serve them and love them well, especially if they're older and they don't have that support system. Did you catch that part about those that don't provide for their family? That they have left the faith and that they're worse than an unbeliever? Did you catch that or did you just kind of gloss over that? Like that's some serious words that, that Paul is using here. Like you need to provide for your family or you're worse than an unbeliever. What does the King James say, Mike? You're worse than a what? Infidel? Or something like that? It's like, hey, you better provide for your family. Not only financially putting food on the table, but provide for them a good spiritual experience and life. But then there's this verse 10, which I think is going to be the most part that we can take on for ourselves. This is one of those verses, much like all of chapter 3 that we looked at, that should apply to all of us, not just to the widows. Let's look at 1 Timothy 5.10. And having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Good works, hospitable, sacrificially serving other people, caring for the afflicted, and deep devotion. Now, is there anything on that list that you say is off limits for you? Outside of your aim as a believer, you're like, I don't really want to be sacrificial. Maybe you don't want to be sacrificially serving other people, but that doesn't mean that it's not part of your responsibility. Right? We should be striving for good works and being hospitable and going out of our way for people. This is what defines us as believers. So if you're looking for examples, practical ways to go, how do I act right and do right no matter who I am or where I am? Well, there's a list for you right there in verse 10. Start there. Am I seeking to do good works? Not only for my own gain, but for those around me, those that can't do it for themselves. Am I an advocate for people who are struggling? Am I sacrificially serving? Am I willing, at great cost to myself, to love and serve 
others. That's what washing the feet is. That's, that's <laughs> way down on the totem pole in terms of priorities and, and encouraging things that we do. <laughs> right? That's hard work. This is the work of a believer. He says, have a good reputation. That's what Paul says. Have a good reputation. This is right and good, widow or not. And it should be our desire as followers of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oof, that was rough. Amen. All right, moving on. Uh, Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder. Oh, I want to stop right there. Let me back up. Let me just, those couple of verses right there. Mike and I were talking. We were just going to make the whole message today about these couple of verses because we want to really make sure that people read that first part, you know, worthy of double honor and, you know, that kind of stuff. But we decided against that because all that really means is that Somebody who's laboring and preaching and teaching ought to be accommodated um, in some sense. Could be financially, could be some other way. But the next verses, they address the correction of an elder who is in sin. I'm going to look at that part because that's that's maybe a little more appropriate. Um, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses as for the those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they may rest, that they may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing for partiality. Okay. The Bible's clear that the point of all discipline is for what? What purpose? Reconciliation. It's for restoration. Forgiveness is bringing people back into the fold. We don't seek to bring discipline on somebody to get them out. Unless they're unwilling, they're unrepentant. The Bible talks about that. You look at Matthew 18 and you can see the example given for us in believer to believer kind of of challenges. But now here in this text, Paul is talking to Timothy about issues of leaders falling into sin. You're like, okay, now it's getting good. What do we do here? We just... Man, we just sweep it under the rug and make sure, hope nobody finds out that a leader of the church messed up. That's our policy here. So if you have a problem with that, you can just leave. Man, you guys are just not in it today. Either that or you think I'm serious and you're like, how do I get out of here quickly? What's the closest exit? That's not our policy here. Okay. Um, Three things the church should be or do if a leader appears to be in sin. According to this passage, number one, be sure of the facts by having some witnesses. People ought to be able to cooperate what's happening. That's mirrored in Matthew 18. Somebody's not willing to, to hear what you have to say, bring two or three witnesses. Like there's something about having a group of people and being held accountable. So be certain of what you're accusing that leader of by having some people that can cooperate what's happening. That's number one. Number two, do everything above board. In the case of legitimate sin, man, it says rebuke in the presence of everybody. (laughs) That's like you're going to hold that person responsible in front of everybody if what you've accused them of is actually legitimate. We're not sweeping anything under the rug. 
ever, if you ever hear of something in leadership that's sinful being pushed aside, you better raise your hand really high and really loudly. Because that is not what the Bible says, and that's exactly how people get hurt, and that's how churches fall apart, and the reputation of Christ goes straight down the drain. We will not stand for that here. It will not happen. And you are part of the reason that will not happen. Because you will hold us to account, or whoever is standing up here as a leader. Third, obey this word, Paul says, no matter what you think. No matter of your personal feelings, your predispositions. Maybe you have a real tight relationship with somebody and you don't want them to have to walk through this. It doesn't matter, he said. There's no prejudice, there's no partiality before God and his people. Three pretty clear and simple steps. But guess what? If these elders were acting right and doing right, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, right? It wouldn't even be an issue just because they're leaders, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, act right and do right. Man, we could avoid a lot of problems, a lot of trouble. But clearly there's some issues going on in Ephesus. Clearly, over the last 2,000 years, there have been leaders that have missed it. And there's some things in place for us to be walking through that. Man, I think there are some massive ripple effects that happen when leaders in the church fall into sin. As a moral failure. People get, get hurt in ways that drive them away from the church and even drive them away from the faith. It's a very dangerous thing. I bet there's even a few of you here today who have experienced this very real pain of being hurt by leaders in the church that have, that have fallen short. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, act right and do right. All right, so let's go to this last little section here. Verse 22, do not be hasty in laying on hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, no longer drinking only water, but using a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot Remain hidden. Okay. <clears throat> so this part of this section has to do with selecting leaders in the church. Um, two weeks ago, we spent an entire message walking through the qualifications for elders and deacons. You can go back and listen to that message, or you can just read chapter 3. But now Paul's adding to this idea of selecting leaders that it shouldn't be done quickly. And I'm not going to go deep into this, only to say this. There must be time given to observe these potential leaders to see what they're really like in their day-to-day -day lives. Don't be hasty, Paul says. Don't just go, oh, that person, they look like they're a good leader. Come on, you want to be an elder? Man. Not going to happen in our church. <laughs> All right. Um, we, one of our core values, if you, if you missed that part, was leadership development. Developing leaders, like that's something that we are going to continue to do and we have to do. And there are several of you in this room right now that are in that leadership development pipeline. And you may see some people up front here in the next couple of months that are possibly on a path to becoming a leader, an elder, or a deacon. But you're going to have an opportunity to observe their lives, to see if their testimony about who they are lines up with the reality of who they are. Because being a leader in the church is a weighty and significant thing. So we take time and we're patient. But I would say this has been a pretty interesting chapter. 
one that I think sometimes gets glossed over when we read it and go, that doesn't really apply to me. The reality is, this is a call to action for every believer everywhere. And there's a lot on the line. Hopefully, the first part of this message brings in the significance and weight of what is really on the line as we're called to live differently than the world around us. Are we not? We are. (laughs) The theme that we pulled out, once again, is quite simply this. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, act right and do right. That sounds simple enough, but what does that mean for you right here and right now, where you are sitting in your seat in your faith journey? What does it really mean? I mentioned at our men's retreat, and I mentioned it just briefly a minute ago, but what we do and how we do it matters. And one of the reasons that I mentioned earlier is that people are watching us, not only watching to see how we love each other, but they're watching us to see how we're living out our faith. I know some of you are like, well, I never signed up for people to watch me. I'm just a believer. I don't want people to watch me. Well, I got some news for you. It's what you signed up for. And it's not even in the fine print. Right? Nobody, no recruiter lied to you (laughs) and told you that you're going to have this easy tour of duty. It didn't happen. Every one of us was told to count the cost of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We are told that we are his ambassadors, his representatives on this earth. It should be no surprise that people are watching us. And listen, these are not things that you graduate into. Just being a member of the body of Christ, you are automatically representative. It's like being in the military. You go to boot camp, you get this uniform, you've been out on the street for five minutes, You are an official representative of the United States military. Whether you've been that for 20 hours or 20 years, it doesn't matter. People look at you, they see, oh, that's that's the U.S. military. That's what it is. Traveling around the country, doing stuff in the Marine Corps uh, as an ambassador for the Marine Corps, as musicians, we were always told on a regular basis, the moment you step off the bus, you are the only Marine Corps that person is ever going to know. Whatever you do, or say, will be a lasting impression on that person for the rest of their lives of what a Marine is. How much more so as ambassadors and representatives of Jesus? Again, regardless of where you are on this journey. And I know that's like, oh, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. But it's not up to you in your own strength To continue to do that day in and day out, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the Word of God comes in. That's where community comes in. You're not in this alone. We need each other. That's why Paul has gone out of his way in this chapter and in this book and really in the Word of God to show us, ensure that we see the weight and the significance of the church, the individual lives that we live as well. What we do and how we do it matters, no matter who you are. Now, I think this means something special and unique for each one of you here today. And it's going to take some regular, ongoing sort of evaluation, like looking at my life on a regular basis. Please remember, hear this, perfection is not the standard. Perfection is not the standard. It's the goal. We should strive toward perfection Strive toward becoming more like Christ and less like ourselves. But we won't be judged on whether or not we were perfect. Mm 
We will give an account, though, for the attitude we had while serving and loving others. We will give an account for the motives that influenced our lives as we lived out our faith. And we're going to answer questions from Jesus concerning the words that came out of our mouths, concerning the way we treated people. And we're going to even ask, we're going to answer questions asked by Jesus concerning the amount of effort that we gave towards sharing the love of Jesus with others. We will not be judged in the sense of sin and condemnation, but we will give an account. Hopefully that also is not a surprise to you. But in case you don't want to take my word for it, can you put up 2 Corinthians 5.10? For we must all appear, Paul is talking to the church, to Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That means every one of us, as believers, is going to stand before Christ and give an account for every single thing that we did. Every attitude we had, every word that came out of our mouth. And again, not as a judgment to say, okay, now you're going to hell. It's a, it's a, it's a judgment in the sense of rewards. Like we're going to be rewarded for the things that we've done. Or we're going to be having rewards withheld because of the things we did or didn't do. That's the kind of judgment that's happening here. It's not a condemnation. It's a reward. And the reward really is being able to glorify God more for all of eternity. We did a message on this a while back. You can go back and listen to it. I'm not going to spend that much time here. All that to say is that what we're doing right now matters, not only for eternity, but all the people that God has put in our lives right now. The bride of Christ, you and me, what we are and who we represent is paramount. So let me close with this. Let us resolve today, each one of us, resolve today to keep our journey moving forward, loving God and loving people, keeping at the forefront of our minds and our hearts that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, act right and do right. Why? For the sake and for the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, act right and do right. Not just because you want an attaboy or to look good in front of people. We do it for the sake and for the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you that we can take a chapter out of the book, uh, out of your word, and, and bring life to it, bring application to it, bring significance Lord in, in my translation here the, the title of this section is instructions for the church God instructions for your bride I just pray Lord that each one of us here we just relish in the fact that you've called us to be a part of this process You've invited us into this incredible opportunity, Lord. You are so faithful and so good and so worthy. Lord, I come against every message in our minds of condemnation and hopelessness and fear. Voices that say, you're never going to get there. You're never going to be able to do this. You're not worthy of it. 
That's a lie from the enemy. Lord, would you just silence every one of those voices? Because you have called us to this, and because you have called us to this, you equip us. You shape us, you lead us, you encourage us, you empower us to do these things, to be ambassadors, to be a light in the darkness. But God, we've got to pursue it. We've got to lean into it, Lord. We've got to want it. And I just pray that you would help us individually, Lord, collectively as a church, that when people look at Pillar Church of Oceanside, when they look at the people in this body, they would be more and more convinced that we really do mean what we say, that we practice what we preach, that we love each other faithfully and consistent, that we love the world, that we're not of the world, we're not in it, we're in it, but we're not of it, Lord. We have a mission. We want to be faithful stewards. God, help us. Help us on this journey. Thank you for the great privilege and honor it is to join you in your work. Right here and right now. And we ask for your grace and your mercy, your great favor and love as we live it out each day. We ask these things through Christ. Amen.